0: Are you an HR department of one, trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. My name is Brenda, and I am here with you today. And very, very thankful that you're joining me. Um, I'm here to help you share w- with you the what and the how in human resources. And it means I'm in the HR business, I'm in the people business, and it means a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. And um, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> it can it can be a little nuts. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's fun. And when you make a positive impact in the company, that just does everybody a world of good. So if this is the first time that you are listening, welcome. I am excited to have you here. Thank you so very much. Check it out. Um, it's a great show. It's very informative and... Like I said, we're here to, you know, help you figure out the what and the how and how to do uh the body of HR. And if you are a returning listener, you guys are my heroes. Thank you so much for continuing to join me week after week after week after week. Um, we're getting close to the anniversary. In one more week, this show will be on air for an entire year. So, um I am very excited about that and going to have a little bit of a special something for you on the anniversary show. So um, stay tuned. But before we get started, folks, I want to let's go down what we're going to go over today. Usually we talk about employment law changes across the nation. Unfortunately, I don't have any for you today. It's been a quiet week. I'm not really quite sure what to tell you. Um, But today we are going to talk about a pretty serious uh, conversation that we've been kind of having periodically throughout the year. And today we're going to look at the consequences of pot in the workplace. Um, I may have some announcements for you. We've got the HR question of the day. And I'm going to tell you how to get best practices delivered right into your inbox. But before we do, Folks, this information is, that is available through the podcast is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should concern your uh, you should concern you should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. And if you don't have one, please let me know, and I will be able to refer one to you likely through our partners over at and our friends over at Jackson Lewis. So, like I said, we don't really have any changes, but um, coming up, actually, I, I I got some really good feedback a while ago, and it's great that I was told that it's great that I send this information out, that I give you guys a heads up that things are happening, but people are very interested in what exactly this is. So, I'm in the process of actually putting together something in some place that you guys can go to actually access this information. So, um, so stay tuned, and uh, we're gonna talk about. What's going on with marijuana and the consequences around it in the workplace as soon as we come back. So this week's episode actually was inspired by a trip that I recently got done with up in New York City. And it was a fantastic weekend. <clears throat> I actually wound up, well, it was a week where I was doing uh, a women's forum I was moderating a panel and had to deliver a small keynote as a result. And I decided to take the weekend and enjoy a weekend in New York. So as I was walking around, um, it was amazing to me how much pot was in the air. And I was on my way to to go visit the 9-11 Museum, which, by the way, if you have never been, I highly recommend you go. It is very impressive. It's very well done. And um, absolutely honors <clears throat> our country and those that were lost um, in a very empowering way. It was very impactful. And as I'm walking to get to the metro stop that I needed to take on the subway, I noticed that there was a guy who was leaning on a car. Uh, it was a limo driver, <clears throat> and it was very clear he was waiting for whomever. And he saw me coming. And quickly um, took a drag off of a joint, or a blunt, or whatever whatever you want to call it. And then blew it out. And as he blew it out, he was walking past me into this little alcove. <laughs> and I walked right through it. And I didn't realize that he was going to do that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. <clears throat> and then the next day, I was walking to church. And... Um, As I was walking, I noticed I could smell it and the guy in front of me was exhaling and it started to really make me think. It's like, you know, I wonder what kind of impact secondhand pot smoke has on people. And then it got me thinking about consequences surrounding it. So you know it's it's very unnerving to think that somebody who's a limo driver is getting loaded before actually picking up whoever it is that they were picking up um i'm glad i was not in the vehicle and um yeah and it was just kind of disturbing and and unfortunately um you know with the with the testing laws in new york that are going to be going into effect on the first of the year um you know guys like this guy he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna slip right under the radar and look here here's the thing i I don't care if anybody does this recreationally in their own home I, you know what we're all adults right you you do what you do and I, I hold no judgment against that but when you have a, when you're in a position where you can you know impact somebody's somebody else's life you know a limo driver who's smoking pot before somebody gets in that there's nothing good that's going to come out of that. I'm sorry. It really isn't. And I don't know how much this guy is, you know, smoking. I have no idea if he smoked the whole thing or what. I just got out of there. But, you know, that's not cool. That's not right. And um, unfortunately, that's what that's what we're faced with in this world. And granted, yes, it has been out there for a while. But, you know, the closer that this country gets to having, you know more laws recreationally put in place um, you know we're faced with new challenges as a result of that and so it it really got me thinking about okay so if if I'm not a smoker which I'm not it's not my not my deal not my gig not my style I barely even drink Um, it made me think about what are the ramifications to the workplace for people who do and it could be recreationally it could be habitually you know I I was just curious so I did some I did some research into this and it really really brought a new awareness to challenges in the workplace that we're going to be facing other than what we've mentioned before in this in this podcast series on just whether there could be a performance issue or not so there's it goes way deeper than that that I don't even think we as a country have fully yet unveiled or uncovered and we're going to do it right here right now so there's a so let's take a step back and look at what the country is like right now and who has what so first off um, employers actions are starting to become limited as to what they can and can't do um, simply because of the fact that we do have states in this country who have legalized marijuana to some some degree. So as it sits right now, recreationally, California, Nevada, Colorado, Alaska, Maine, Massachusetts, Oregon, Washington, Illinois, Michigan, Vermont, and Delaware have all legalized marijuana for uh, recreational purposes. And 33 states <clears throat> have legalized marijuana for medical programs and we've got Idaho, South Dakota, and Iowa and Nebraska who have done neither. So we've got a pretty significant state uh, regulated aspect of um, making marijuana available in either the medical or the recreational fashion or both. So um, it it really gets kind of interesting. So when you think about marijuana, I don't think People really truly understand. I mean, yeah, it makes people feel good and it makes people chill and relax. Totally get that, but it also does a lot of damage to the body too. And for those who are <clears throat> the chronic smokers, um, there are studies out there. There's quite a few studies actually that demonstrate that it actually influences a reduction in life. Um, it it absolutely impacts a person's physical well-being. Over the long haul, by uh, diminishing, um, you know, their vascular structure, it places a, a lot of stress on the heart. And I've got some other statistics, another I wouldn't say statistics, but facts, in regards to first, secondhand smoking as well. So, you know, smoking marijuana as the prime ingester, <clears throat> you know, you're taking in a very complex chemical mixture of smoke. That that is, that is that contains quite a few things to be honest with you um, it actually contains things such as ammonia arsenic uh, benzene, formaldehyde hydro, uh, me, hydrogen cyanide and then heavy metals like lead mercury and nickel. So you know pot isn't really regulated. <laughs> If you think about it, so you honestly don't know what it is that you're actually consuming. And for those that are a little bit of an aficionado, there's also the risk of actually ingesting through smoke um, pesticides. If you think about it, Um, there's also three times the amount of ammonia that is found in mainstream marijuana smoke than there is in actual tobacco smoke. Um, some of the peer-reviewed studies that I've seen indicate that exposure to secondhand marijuana smoke actually will have health and safety risks for the general public, especially due to its very similar composition to secondhand tobacco smoke. Um, so we, we understand what those adverse imp- uh, you know imp- the, the adverse impact is to secondhand smoke. but n- now marijuana is increasing that risk by you know, by introducing it into the air. And because it has some of the same chemicals as smoke from tobacco, it is now being linked to lung cancer. So the very same thing that some people may be using to treat with certain aspects of cancer is the very same thing that can actually now promote it. And some people say, no, 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 that doesn't happen. Yeah, it does. It's documented. This is all peer studied and peer reviewed. When I bring statistics forward or I bring data forward, I do my research. So, secondhand uh, marijuana exposure actually impair, impairs the blood vessel function, okay? Uh, secondhand smoke also increases the risk for uh, chronic asthma and COPD issues to uh, expand, and it also has the longer lasting effect on blood vessel function than an exposure to regular secondhand smoke. Now, one of the most recent things that have been in the news on how uh, marijuana use or taking any kind of THC consumable um, has been bubbling up in the news is the the vaping challenge so you know those particle concentrations from what they call uh, dabbing and vaping cannabis can actually create levels of indoor air pollution as well as pollution that's you know the stuff that's coming into your system and it appears that after some studies that there is an artificial vitamin E oil that is being used, and that is actually what physicians and researchers are starting to believe is the prime cause for this sudden vaping illness that is uh, damaging people's lungs. So some of this stuff that gets put into the air from vaping actually creates levels very similar um, that is seen in air pollution, different types of events like wildfires and severe pollution. So for other people, um, exposure, you know, for, at this, with these things, uh, with this level of concentration, um, is going to impact the cardiovascular and, and respiratory system, and creating, you know, an, ex, an extended level of the disease, not only the person who is consuming, but potentially the person who is uh, secondhand smoke as well. But lastly, um, something to also consider is because like I said, you know, pot isn't regulated on how it's grown, but, um, there's also different types of chemicals that the plant can absorb. In addition to that, um, you know, you can, you can inhale mold. I mean, oh my gosh, can you imagine at risk of inhaling black mold from a plant like that? So, you know, there's a lot of challenges around that now. I mean, I, that's really just kind of sounded like a complete public service announcement as to why anybody shouldn't consume pot, which, you know, take that as you will. But but it introduces um, another component that we haven't yet started to really expose and talk about. And, you know, even though the courts are really starting to side with employees who you know, indicate or make statements that they're off-duty use of cannabis for medical reasons, you know, has led to some unfair challenges, and that, you know, that makes sense. You know, about 66% of the U.S. is in favor of legalizing marijuana. However, the impact to employers is going to go beyond just the concerns over performance and concerns over intoxication. Where it's really going to impact companies is, by all of that information I just gave you before, is really going to impact how medical costs are going to continue to increase. I mean, let's face it, we're not a healthy uh, country anymore. Um, We've got a lot of different types of challenges with weight. We've got challenges with stress. We've got challenges with opioids. And this is going to compound that as well. So this is going to impact utilization on medical plans, um, especially if the effects of something like vaping are not put into some form of control and more and more people develop this sudden, you know, vaping disease where all of a sudden their respiratory system is so damaged that it's a quick show up from what we've seen so far in the media. And that's going to increase costs. That's going to increase utilization. It's going to increase... Um, you know claims that are being filed um, and you talk about a reduced lifespan that means that people are going to wind up actually seeing the effects come sooner in life rather than later so hypothetically if we are looking at this in a theoristic standpoint even though that may not be a real word we're gonna roll with that Um, theoretically that's what I was trying to say so theoretically Um, You know somebody that would normally develop a certain level of heart disease around the age of 70 could in reality actually develop it much sooner. So, um, you know, the clogging of the arteries, the fluid surrounding in the heart, you know, those things will show up much sooner if if this is what science is telling us. So pot isn't necessarily as harmless as a lot of people are selling it. From A benefits and cost savings side of it. There's really not a whole lot of information out there just yet and something that can be done. I think this is something that's going to start surfacing here real soon. But there are things that companies can do um, to mitigate the impact of employees who consume marijuana and smoke pot on a regular basis. So first off, um, you know, companies really need to educate the employee about company marijuana use policies and what kind of repercussions exist within the policies that include, um, you know, different types of failed tests, random post-accident, and anything that would be deemed as reasonable suspicion Anytime those things come up. So that's going to be very important. I mean, you need to put a policy in place <clears throat> because no matter what... No matter what the legislative changes are, there's nothing out there right now that prohibits an employee from a zero tolerance policy or not having, you know, a level of tolerance in the workplace for, uh, you know, that type of consumption and that usage, particularly when it comes to, or I should say not particularly, but especially and specifically that um, if an employee were to show up and is under the influence or is intoxicated, that employers actually do have Um, grounds to be able to act appropriately. But with the complexities that are out there and depending upon the state and now the municipality, I can't even really start to talk about what those things are because they change. So my recommendation is if you want to write a policy, make sure that you actually, you know, run this by your employment counsel, um, your employment attorney to ensure that what you are doing is actually not going to violate Ordinance. now I'm going to throw something out there and this is I've mentioned this before too is that the conundrum that surrounds government contractors is in government contracting the very same government that tells you that you have to abide by a law is also the very same body of government that's going to put you in a position to violate it so let's take a look at New York City for instance okay so right now in the United States government contractors <clears throat> are they they have to abide by the Drug-Free Workplace Act of 1988. So at the federal level, which is the highest level of our government, it's unlawful. You know, marijuana is still listed on Schedule One, and that's not going to change anytime soon. So <clears> at <throat> the federal level, it still makes it unlawful to consume, purchase, buy, possess pot. Now you've got a government contractor that works in the state of New York. <clears throat> and specifically works in the city of New York. And in January 1 of 2020, the city is going to prohibit employers from testing for THC and pre-employment drug screens. So one of the things that government contractors can do, because a lot of these people have a security clearance, is that they can do a pre-employment drug test and a background test before they actually begin to submit their package to obtain a security clearance. So. The question therefore becomes if you're in that position and your position and your company doesn't fall under the exceptions of this new ordinance, therefore the question is which law do you violate first (laughs) or the most or both? And that is do you violate the city or do you violate the federal? And that's a very difficult position to be in for any organization. So if the position requires a top secret security clearance, well, that's going to wind up having some, you know, ramifications behind it. And the thing is, is that nobody's taken this to court yet. Nobody's taken the state. No one's taken the municipality. Nobody's taken this to court. And I guarantee you, I guarantee, I keep saying it, it is going to hit the Supreme Court for sure. Now this is also going to make things very complicated for states operating in different states. So it means that you guys are going to have to really understand what the testing policies are for each state. Uh, If you're only operating in one state you need to know what the laws and what the guidelines are around all of that. But if you're operating in multiple states it's really going to get complicated and it's going to get complex. So you may actually have to produce a handbook for each individual state. I mean if you've got uh, employees working in California and you've got individuals working in other parts of the country, you should really have an employee handbook specifically just for California because there's so much that goes into it. Um, again, you know, make sure that you are thinking carefully about the type of test that the company, that your company is using and stay on, type, on top of the different types of changes in technology and testing that are out there. There's some companies that are able to do a rapid test where they can actually give you an answer in the very same day and there are times where something might come up where they need to actually send it over to the medical examiner and have them take a look at it. Um, for those that once, they, once they're done, they're in the company, if you don't do random drug testing, make sure that you work to teach your managers how to spot the signs of impairment. Um, also what happens next if they suspect because one of the areas of of risk out there is testing an employee that you suspect for drug use without really having a definition of what that suspicion looks like and a solid action plan with a legal strategy moving forward in order to do it. And remember folks that when it comes to this subject as employers you don't have to tolerate it just like you wouldn't tolerate alcohol use, you don't have to tolerate marijuana use or pot use or whatever it is you want to call it. You don't have to tolerate it. So I'm going to continue to monitor these changes. Um, You know, we've got a new year that's coming up. We've got an election year that's coming up you know, guaranteed things are going to continue to change at the pace that it's changing now. We really don't know which states are considering what and when all that's going to release, but I promise you as it comes up, um, we're definitely going to keep you guys in the loop as to what is going on with it as best as I can. So um, stay tuned because this ain't over yet. There's no doubt about it. I'd like to give a shout out to some very special people that I met in last uh, last week over in New York City. Um, Ladies, those of you that I met from those of you from Boston to St. Louis to Los Angeles to Australia and Taiwan. Look, you guys are all amazing. And I really, truly enjoyed meeting each and every one of you. You guys are fantastic. Um, Seriously, you guys are going places, and I think it's just absolutely awesome of all the things that you're taking on and that you're accomplishing. Now, in this episode, we don't have any announcements to make, um, but I still we still want to get you guys to email the questions i get really great hr questions and these are things that i want to share with you guys on the website on, on the show so you can submit your questions by going to best and clicking on the podcast link from the menu and down towards the bottom of the page is a submission form for you to go ahead and post your questions so today is actually um, a pretty interesting one and the question came out as to can can you as an employer refuse to hire an employee because of that person's potential risk of developing a disability? And I gave it some thought and I thought, well, yeah, <laughs> but you know what? I, no. <laughs> I, so here's the thing, you you can refuse to hire somebody and um, this comes from, it looks like the seventh court recently, has agreed with determinations from the 8th, 9th, and 10th Circuit Courts that such a refusal does not vol- uh, violate the American with Disabilities Act. So there's a case that is out there right now. Um, it was called the Shell versus Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railway Company. And apparently it addressed that the certification question as to whether the American with Disabilities Act regarded as provision encompasses conduct motivated by the likelihood that an employee will develop a future disability with the scope of in relation to ADA. So for those of you um who follow what is required of ADA, the regarded to standpoint is is kind of interesting. Now, the more I thought about this, the more I I, re- I remembered that this had come up before in the past, and it had been a long time since I thought about the regarded-to aspect. So, if an employer or an employee, employee regards themselves, or if the employer regards the employee as having a disability, then they are protected under ADA. But that is in the present tense; that that is having, but regarded as a as being at risk is actually not covered under the american with disabilities act so uh, the the prosecution shell uh, sued uh, tried to sue the railroad, and it actually came back as the railroad did the right thing because he's not able to claim disability and this was all based around his obesity and not being able to actually work the position based off of a medical certification Um, and so the court of appeals actually joined those other courts that obesity alone and we've talked about this before in the past is not a physical impairment under the ada unless it is accompanied by some form of evidence that obesity is the cause or is caused by an underlying physiological disorder or condition so i thought that was really interesting and i wanted to bring that up because that's just a really great Uh, demonstration uh, on the complexities surrounding American with Disabilities Act and the complexities that we face in this industry with in regards to employment law. So um, in a couple of weeks I'm going to give you some information on a little project that we're working on right now. I've got a a team of people that are just smart, fantastic, awesome, and uh, there's going to be a place where these types of questions or these articles and these things that I find in the stuff that I call out when I do employment laws across the nation, there's going to be a place where you can actually go and read that stuff for yourself. So I get follow-up questions as to, oh, that was really great. I'd, I'd like to know where that comes from. And I get the information out to them. But what I want to do is I'm going to start producing that for uh, those individuals. So if, if you're just starting out and or you're trying to break through the industry in human resources, or, you know, you've been doing it for a while and, and you really become an enterprised, um, an enterprise veteran HR professional um, all the way up to the senior level this information is actually going to start to become available to you and it's pretty awesome. So stay tuned because we're going to be releasing this information out there uh, in the near future. So where you can find this information coming up is you got a couple of different options. You can sign up for the mailing list if you haven't done so already. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Best Practices in HR. You're going to see more information coming out in those two areas specifically. Um, on, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, you can certainly do that as well. And that you just look me up by my name, which is Brenda Neckvottle, and my last name is spelled N-E-C-K, like thing you want to choke, V is in Victor, A-T-A-L. Uh, again, you can find us at the website. Find me on the website at bestpractices.org. And, um, yeah there's all sorts of exciting stuff coming up one year holy cow in one week it'll be one year and in the spirit of celebration in one year um, we're just working on making things bigger and better for you guys and get this the information out there for you all so then that way it helps make your jobs just a little bit easier so I really appreciate you guys checking us out today thank you again so much everybody for joining in I'm super excited for what the future holds Um, there's going to be networking opportunities there's going to be uh, opportunities to connect i'm going to be traveling in some cities and we're going to wind up doing some receptions over there so lots of good information coming your way and if you're in those areas i would absolutely love to meet you and uh, i hope you all have a wonderful rest of the week take care guys